You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Saturday, it's 5 o'clock. I am Andre Pru. And I'm Maroki Tong, and uh, I am chock full of sugar. You are chock full of sugar, and I know exactly why. It's that very sad point of the summer where the unofficial end of summer takes place in Toronto at the exhibition. The CNE is in its final few days. And it makes me sad. Final few days. It makes me sad. <laughs> it makes you sad because you're not going to be there at all for it this year. No, I, I, I did miss the entire CNE, but it just makes me sad because, I mean, summer's coming to an end. It, it, feels, uh, it feels like the summer went way too fast. It, it really has. I think there was at one point, um, like earlier this week, where I thought it was still mid-August and realized I missed a deadline for like a couple of things because I thought it was mid-August still, <laughs> as opposed to the end of August. So that really shows where my head's at. Um, but the funny part is, Andre, is that I've actually never been to the CNE before until now, or if I have. My memory, uh, I must have been too young because the, the funniest part is that I was sharing some social content that I was at the CNE and my mother of all people started messaging me being like, I love the CNE. It's like a place of great memories and good food. And I'm thinking to myself, when did my mother ever go to the CNE? <laughs> so, I love, I love your mother on social media, just as an aside. Like your mother is a <laughs> borderline social media maven. She's always been like a really big supporter of you. And like for our monthly Instagram thing that we haven't done in a little while, she's always one of the first to comment. So it's, it's <laughs> I love that that's how that took place. Yeah, I, I just found it interesting because I, I could only surmise that the only reason why she ever went to the CNE was to take us there as children. So there must have been something angled. There must be some in the deep recesses of my childhood memory. One of the kind of like carnivally outdoory things I've went to must have been the CNE. Now, I will say she probably never let me have cotton candy there because I was it was I was quite I was much older before I ever got my first taste of cotton candy. But um, this it this CNE, I will totally say I basically only only ate sugar yep. when I was there as, oh, as one should sauces, followed by some hot sauces and the thing is is like I think I've spoken about kind of being quite health conscious on the show so sugar is not something I consume in high quantities of and I did it in spades at the CNE because um notably they had a food network truck there uh featuring foods from carnival eats and I think that's air uh coming back on air in 2024 with season two with Noah Cap as the host and for those of you who don't watch carnival eats it is exactly what it sounds like you go and eat wacky carnival eats and decide to feature a bunch of that on their food truck which included of course funnel cakes and various <laughs> funnel cakes and its shapes and forms and then like Deep fried Mars bar, I guess that's kind of a quintessential staple. And then also like deep fried maple cookies. So, you know, bringing in oh, some yeah. on it. So, yeah, there was a lot of fry and there was a lot of sugar. And I try I to be health a bit of a sugar high. I try to be health conscious, but when it comes to carnival food, like all bets are off. And I mean, it's one of those things, too, where uh, <laughs> we preach responsible consumption, especially in segment four when we're talking about the world of drinks. But I don't think there's <laughs> such a thing as like responsible consumption when it comes to showing up at a carnival. Be prepared to have your intestines plastered with deep fryer grease. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I am totally a person that 
dreamed about funnel cake once since I was young. It was like one of those things, you know, when I was at Canada's Wonderland, seeing people have it in my parents. And I think you and I both discussed about how our mothers were very, very careful with our lunches, how we yes. weren't allowed sweets and how yes. we were well, we used to trade kids, uh, at, you know, at school at recess to try and get uh, some fruit by the foot. And funnel cake was obviously one of those foods I'd watch people eat. And I'm like, what is that? And maybe that's like also Chinese kid growing up, not really seeing a lot of these foods um, in my regular diet at all, just because it's not a part of my culture. I remember seeing funnel cake for the first time and being like, I must have this someday. Like someday I will be old enough to buy my own funnel cake and no one can stop me. So <laughs> well, that day came, truck, that day came. That, yeah. So uh, when I was at the, when I was at the food truck, I bought two of their three funnel cakes. Oh my the only gosh. one I decided the only one I didn't get was the cotton candy one because I could just only imagine. I think I, I've realized as an adult that cotton candy is a lot cooler than it tastes. Like it looks really cool, but then it just becomes a sticky mess on your face. So um, I got their like their classic funnel cake and then I got their uh, butter tart funnel cake, which <laughs> it was a lot of funnel cake. And I will fully admit I didn't eat it all, guys. So I, I'm sorry for all of you who was waiting for me to enjoy my full cheat day. I did only take a few bites of everything just to indulge all my senses. And I shared it with a friend who, um, and I quote, well, she joined me because you weren't available, Andre, since you're in Saskatchewan. And she said, sometimes I just love eating like a child. Um, I don't even know if that's eating like a child. But I mean, <laughs> I think good on you for getting to. So can you can you paint a picture for me and for everybody else about what these funnel cakes look like? I mean, they're, I mean, they're as traditional funnel cakes as you can get, right? So you basically are squishing like a bunch of dough out of a tube into a fire, um, into the fryer in sort of like a, a circular weaving motion. So it's almost like a, like a big doughy basket. And then yeah. you slather, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the butter pecan one because that's the one that was like the special souped up one. They poured like a bunch of like butter tart sauce all over it. And then they sprinkled some <laughs> maple, um, like maple leaf uh cut out like little tiny sprinkles on it i actually um when i talked about it on my instagram i actually straight up said i was like noah cab i was like for carnival eats i think you should have crumbled butter tart on top of it too if you wanted to go really over top because they didn't do that and it would have been too much for me but i think if you're gonna do carnival eats you should have totally crumbled butter tart pieces all over it oh interesting interesting yeah that's yeah, that actually say. that actually doesn't sound that bad i guess the nice thing about like uh, when you're doing caramel, there's usually like a salty element to it. So it's not so, so bad. Like you get a little bit of balance with all that sugar. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the ones that actually were like the killers for gut busters and sugar were definitely the fried maple cookies and the fried Mars bars. Um, but, you know, I think like we talked about only sugar. There's like other, there's like savory foods at the CNE too. And I know, <laughs> oh, there's, there I know there's like a couple of, huh? Are there now? <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't get a chance to try it because it was it was quite busy that day. But I did get to stop at a hot sauce vendor and taste uh, their 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 grandmother's hundred year old recipes and may have bought a few bottles for myself. But I know some there's some like other I I don't want to call them wacky eats because I know they're they're very much a cultural um, food for a lot of people. But I know there's deep fried frog legs at the CNE in the food building this year. Um, there's definitely fried pickles galore and blooming onions galore. And those are, uh, fried vegetables is actually kind of one of my favorite things. Like deep fried pickles, I would buy a million of them and eat a million of them if it didn't destroy me. Interesting. All right. Yes. So so what you're so, saying, what you're saying is even health conscious Maroki 
thinks that the carnival eats are are worth the cheat day. Is that what you're saying? I think that's uh, carnival eats, and if nothing else, to enjoy the experience is always worth a cheat day. That's the way I would say it. It's always worth a cheat day to try something new, to do something different, to eat. I don't know, like weird ketchup ice cream or bacon wrapped <laughs> wings. I am reading some of the crazy stuff you can find at the CNE. Butter chicken overload, uh, ketchup ice cream, cheeseburger ice cream. I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure if I would actually eat that, but like, <laughs> I don't know, deep fried pizza. I, I might die. I might die if I eat that. But like, if not, like, I think the thing with the CNE food is that it's part of just like experiencing something over the top high stimuli experience right and yeah. whether or not you would love the food because i will say that looking at some of these like i said i'm not sure if i'm here for cheeseburger ice cream i'm not sure if i'm here for deep fried pizza i still just like i like the experience i like the opportunity to taste new things and just like have something over the top that i never would have on any other day of the year <laughs> I appreciate you putting the silver lining on the fact that summer's coming to an end. <laughs> was that what the segment was all about, Andre? It was in my mind. <laughs> Anyways, when we come back from the break here, I know that we joke about when we get a chance to uh, speak to our favorite Food Network celebrities that you're the one who goes a little bit fangirl, but uh, I had a chance to be a fanboy with uh, Dale McKay when I caught up with him while I was in Regina uh, early this week. So stick around. We'll be right back after this break on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Well, Maroki, it, it finally happened to me. I got a little starstruck. Andre... Why did you get a little starstruck, even though I already know? Because uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be a show like this if you didn't tell me in advance and hurt my heart. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the sort of thing where, you know, we're we're fortunate enough to uh, have a, a little bit of a connection to the Food Network. And uh, you and I are both a big fan of said Food Network, especially Top Chef Canada. And you and I watched uh, Top Chef World All-Stars quite religiously. And I got to be face-to-face, -face, uh, not over the phone, not over Zoom, with a Top Chef All-Star competitor. Uh, so was it, Andre? Let the listeners know. Don't keep keeping us in the dark here. So face-to-face, uh, -face, I got a chance to connect with Dale McKay, uh, owner of the Grassroots Hospitality Group out in Saskatchewan. And uh, I was actually hosting a dinner at Avenue in Regina. I know that this is a Toronto-based food show, but should you ever make your way westward, it is truly a gem of a restaurant and well worth going out of your way to visit. Anyways, uh, we are joined by Dale McKay. In Regina, yeah. Before we get started, uh, how about you give a shout out to Maroki back in uh, Toronto? Hey Maroki, how are you? Sorry you couldn't be here back in uh, Regina. We're here at Avenue Restaurant. Looking forward to uh, doing some great wine pairings tonight. So last time we talked to you, uh, you were still in the middle of competing on Top Chef World All-Stars. So uh, how did that go? I mean, overall, great season. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the way it went. Obviously, uh, I would have loved to have stuck it a little bit longer. Uh, I think I enjoyed Last Chance Kitchen a lot more than, than the regular side of the, the competition. Uh, I love the one-on-ones, the fast cooks, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, disappointed to go home the, the second time. I felt like I 
should have still been there, but that's how competition rolls. And uh, I, I hopefully, you know, everyone I talk to seems to be pretty happy with the way it all went for me. So uh, I just want to make everyone proud. That's the biggest thing. Well, you definitely, uh, definitely made us proud. Certainly uh, the Prairie Boy and me. Uh, but we're also going to see you coming up on some other shows uh, in the Food Network shortly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Firemasters has new episodes coming out. And obviously, while chefs are still running and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's always, always nice to be on there and representing. Okay, but now you've done uh, Top Chef Canada, Top Chef World All-Stars. If one of the Top Chef producers calls you up again, are you going to go back and compete one more time? Yeah, I, I'll always compete. I, 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 you know, I'm not someone that worries about losing or worries about you know that kind of stuff. I just love to compete, and I love to go against the best of the best. And whenever I, I'm going to a competition, I almost like to lead up just as much because it gets you in the kitchen full-time thinking about food non-stop just training 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 and that's my favorite thing and that's another reason why I like triathlon so much and why I do that so much because it's very much the similar to cooking is it's all about the training the competition's almost like the format you know is 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 the fun bit you know it's the training that goes into it okay so enough uh, talking about uh what you're gonna be doing on tv let's bring it back home a little bit your um, grassroots hospitality group has restaurants in Saskatoon and Regina and you've recently had to make some changes to uh, some of your landmark restaurants including Aiden in Saskatoon Tuna. What exactly is going on there? Yeah, just shuffling things around. Aiden Kitchen and Bar. We, we, you know, we were open for ten years, and unfortunately, we can't. We couldn't sign a new lease for that space. And I'm a firm believer in moving a restaurant rarely works, and something that's so special like Aiden, that was, you know, a Saskatchewan institution. It's named after my son. All those kind of good awards and everything. That feeling. I didn't want to try to move that feeling and so instead we decided to do a new concept which is called F&B or food and beverage uh, and it's similar to Aiden but maybe a little bit more modern and stuff but similar kind of that style of food so uh, super exciting and and doing it in a slightly smaller room which I think in this day and age is was what we want to do uh, we can focus more on refinement and on the drinks and, and everything else that we're doing we have a great bar, bar program there so uh, so yeah we have the three restaurants Little Grouse F&B and, and Avenue here in Saskatchewan now, you've definitely been at the forefront for uh, pushing the culinary envelope in Saskatchewan, uh, introducing the, the people of the province to new creative cuisines. And I think what you're doing can definitely be a template to other chefs looking to expand into more rural areas with maybe more traditional types of cuisine. Um, did you find it a challenge as you were bringing more modern and uh, more culturally diverse styles of cooking to the people of Saskatchewan? I think it used to be. I think, you know, 10 years ago when we opened up Aiden, that was a very conscious thought is that we started slow and moved on and moved on and kind of taking things a bit further whereas now there's not really anything that we put on the menu that people aren't going to order or aren't going to jump at uh and that goes with with products but it, it also just you know we really do a wide range we do some really modern stuff but then we do takes on like at fmb we're doing a baked alaska or what i'm calling baked saskatchewan and so we're using all saskatchewan ingredients and flavors in a in a classic dessert so you know whether it be twists on old school stuff or new stuff people are here Everyone travels a lot more now, too, even from 10 years ago, you know, and so I think people are up for pretty much anything, you know. I really love that. And, you know, it's just something about this time of year, especially as a, a home cook, how easy it is to go farm to table at this time of year where the farm can be actually right up the street. Um, I know we know a lot about what's in season in Ontario this time of year, but uh, maybe for people listening to the show at home, um, what are some of your favorite ingredients from Saskatchewan to cook with at this time of year? Saskatchewan, I would say asparagus. It's early in the season. People don't really think about Saskatchewan as an asparagus grower, but we have we grow tons of it here. And it's so, so good. It's a short season. It's only about three weeks to a month. So when we do get it, we just put it on everything because it's so good. Uh, mushrooms, chanterelles are huge, huge here. And then it 
it sounds simple and lame, but like honestly, just even carrots. Our carrots here are so sweet and so so tasty. So uh, nearing the ends of the season, same as beets, we get in. We'll, our some of our suppliers are will bring us like 500 pounds of beets at the end of the season, and so we do everything we can with those. And, and especially when they let them grow long, and so they get even sweeter and sweeter. So uh, we don't grow a little a lot of exotic stuff here, but just everything that you really like: potatoes, carrots, onions. They're just the best, the best. Okay, chef, you're without a doubt um, a trendsetter. Uh, not just in Saskatchewan, but uh, with regards to cuisine in general, what do you see is the next big food trend, uh, according to Chef Dale McKay? I think that's what we're doing at FMB, and 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 I would say it's a lot more sharing in smaller plates. Like we still have some main courses; we only have about four main courses, and the rest is all pretty much the same size plates. So it's kind of medium sized things you can share. We're doing a lot of tasting menus there, and our tasting menus are shared tasting menus. So if you come with a two top, you'll have three or four starters. Then you're going to have like a pasta and then you'll have maybe two different mains and then you'll have one or two different desserts and so we our goal is to get you to taste as many things as you can in one sitting without obviously you know blowing you up too much but uh so it's more about sharing and tasting and and that side of things so a bit more modern rather than you know again 10 years ago forget to get a whole table just to share a bunch of appetizers wasn't really a thing before it would be definitely be more like starter main course maybe dessert or just a main big big ass main course and then maybe a dessert so it's about more trying to get people to just have more tasty little bites i love that you basically found a way to take um a fine dining tasting menu where you go you get a set bunch of courses and break it down to make it something a little bit more affordable a little bit more fun something you can do with friends uh you know i really hope that trend catches on so one dish will just be like literally right now we have a dish on at fmb it's just marinated veg so we take all the veg we get from the market zucchinis onions peppers whatever it is and then we roast them and grill them and then we marinate them in different types of oils parmesan oil lemon oil different types of oils and we bring it all together finish it with some house-made focaccia some smoked feta cheese on top so it's really the best of saskatchewan just all in this bowl you know whereas again i don't i, I don't think you know years ago someone would have just ordered a marinated vegetable dish whereas now it's literally our popular most popular dish in the menu right on thanks so much for giving us the time chef well andre i think uh, i see myself going to regina on a trip with you on the next <laughs> time you go and visit your family uh, I would happily have anyone here. My uh, ca- caveat, I tell everyone about visiting Saskatchewan, go in the summer. It gets very cold in the winter. It's the reason why I moved to Ontario. Um, but if you don't want to make it here, make sure you uh, lock your TV to uh, the Food Network. You can continue to see Dale McKay as one of the judges on uh, Firemasters. You can see him on Wall of Chefs giving out some great advice. And, you know, it was really an honor to actually stand in his kitchen and watch him do some fantastic plating and some cooking and uh you jealous yet yes i'm jealous you sent me photos throughout the entire experience and i had so much envy but i'm also really glad to see dale sort of making his mark in the food network scene outside of top chef canada on a couple of other shows that you and i both watch and have actually interviewed experts and hosts on so i think that's pretty cool well coming off the back of that i know you did a wine pairing dinner with dale andre so it seems apt that we're actually going to be uh pivoting a little bit to talk a little bit about wine in our next segment and a month that is very important to me for september organic september where we can all think about being a little bit more sustainable and doing a little bit better for our planet sounds good to me That's coming up on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. 
You know what, Maroki Tong? I am still vibrating a little bit over having a chance to chat with Dale McKay in person in the alley behind Avenue Restaurant in downtown Regina. I have Regina. so, so much envy for you right now, Andre. <laughs> I don't know if I can continue talking about it just because I got so much envy just listening to the conversations that you had. Um, so I'm going to talk about things that I'm vibrating about uh, coming into the month of September. And you know how there's always some sort of thing going on? There's always some sort of like special day, some sort of month thing. But I actually kind of um, am into this one, Andre. Uh, did yeah. you know that September is organic month? I did not know that until uh, last week when you dropped that into our segment. I was just like, wait, what? So uh, I'm glad <laughs> you're about to uh, school me on this. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it's like uh, the second year that I've been aware of it. And it, it means something a lot to me because I think, um, as you and I know, I care a lot about the environment. I think you and I both do. And I think more than ever over this past summer, I, we've been sort of really wake, uh, you know, woken up about some a lot of things that we need to do because we're beginning to truly see our impact, the human carbon footprint and what it's doing to our planet. So we're super pleased to be joined by Benjamin Mitarakis, who's the export manager of Bonterra Wines. Um, hey, Benjamin, thanks for joining us because I'm really excited to talk about organic wines and organic September with you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to share what we what we do and uh, keep like uh, promoting the organic uh, practices. Yeah, so I think we should dive right into it because, Benjamin, I'm super jaded when it comes to sustainability. I think, you know, greenwashing is very much a thing mm -hmm, on this planet, mm -hmm. uh, like in this world now. That's something that people just kind of, I don't know, pay a lot of lip service to what it means. And a lot of companies do that as well. Now, Bonterra is one of the leaders in organic wines, which is why I'm really excited to be partnering with you for in a segment. Because in my studies of you over the last year, two years, you really truly leave up, live up to your credence. So I really want to hear about what commitments Bondera has into becoming an organic uh, winery and your commitment to sustainability. Okay, so as you as you know, greenwashing these days has been very common, but uh, for us, uh, being leaders is a very is a big commitment. We, need, we really need to focus on what we do like and do truly what we believe, that it's uh, the organic agriculture. We believe that the only way to to validate this thing is through like a third party certification, which are committed same as us. So we are part of a huge uh, group of a uh, different uh, certification. Part of them are CCOF, which which is the California Organic. Another one is a Rock certification, which is a new one that is very important for us. That is mean regenerative and organic certification. The focus are three pillars, which is the soil health, animal welfare, and social fairness which these days are the most important things for a company. We need to take care of everything, not just like uh, the soil, not just the animals, like not just the people, everything. It's part of mm -hmm. our social responsibilities. And then yeah. we are part of a B Corp, which is a big, big certification social that it takes care about like the people who works and also make business for good, which is in our DNA. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually B Corp was the one that I always was super fascinated with because not only do you have that those pillars of sustainability, but you have to maintain some pretty pretty rigorous transparency rules around it, like standards yeah. of transparency and, and yeah. sharing that with the public. And I, I will say, like, I think one of the things that we forget to talk about sometimes around sustainability is the sustainability people. of of people. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think it's like I think it's good that we're finally beginning to recognize that sustainability doesn't always necessarily mean um, leaving the world a better place for the environment, which is extremely important, but yeah. you need to take care of the people too, because I think they kind of have a holistic effect on everything. 
Yes. Yeah. And, at the, and at the end, if we if we take care of our people, like people will take care of our brand, like uh, they are going to be committed, they are going to be engaged, like we cannot ask to people be committed or engaged if they live in a, like in a bad environment, like we need to take care of them. And also we are the people, we are part of this, so we, we want to live in a healthy environment as well. So it's a, it's great what a B Corp does and how it help us to keep improving these practices. You know, another part of building a successful brand, though, is making sure that the quality of the product is intact. And it, it's fantastic to hear about all the efforts of Bonterra to be sustainable. And it, it looks like it goes like well beyond the surface and putting a sticker on a label. But I've always been a big fan of um, of the wines themselves. So like hearing all of this is just an added bonus for like a wine lover like me. And California is so hard. Like there are so many mediocre yeah. wines at that like 20 to $25 price point and, and under where... You know, I, I think there are some brands that are running the risk of doing some real damage to California. And it's great that Bonterra is a leader in terms of quality to price point. I'm a big fan of the organic Chardonnay. Um, I used to make the wine list at Kalgoorlie and they, for them, organic wines on their wine list was important. And to have a really great value like that was, um, was something that was very important to them. And uh, I guess... It, that was a long way away me linking into this question yeah. is is how hard is it to create like those really great you know accessible wines like they're not sweet wines like they're they're really really well made beautifully balanced wines while still reflecting that californian climate like how hard is it to do that and make sure you're hitting that price point while um you know sticking to the sticking to the sustainable practices that you just talked about so first, first of all, like it's a, for Bonterra, it's a, it's quite everything started with a, with the sourcing because we produce grapes. We have around like a 1,000 acres planted in California in Mendocino, but also for our program because Bonterra is a big brand, we need to outsource grapes. So it started with the sourcing to get the best grapes, organic grapes, which is very important for us. We have a big big program which is like with the growers where we help them to convert to organic. In that way, we can have more organic grape accessible for us. So that's something that is a very big, big and important program for us because uh, we are trying to get good grapes for into organic programs. So that that's the first step. Then once we have the grapes, of course, organic, there was a myth in the past that organic was like a worse or bad quality. And that's a totally myth because organic, when you think about it, Organic, what it's going to give you is a better expression of the variety and the and the terroir at the end, the soil, because you are not adding any pesticide, you're not adding anything that it's like a not natural to the soil. So you are going to have everything, a lot of a expression in our wines. And also we try to always embrace that expression of terroir and the variety with not adding too much oak to our wines. You will feel that our Bontra Chardonnay is gonna have some oak, but not too much. So we try to keep it fresh. Our Cabernet, our Cabernet is gonna be super gentle as well. So that's something that we try to embrace a lot, the, the characteristics of the variety and the terroir with the, with the organic uh, growing as well. And I think the, yeah. the wine has been doing very good in, in the market and the people appreciate that. It's, a, it's something that we have seen in the, in the recent years. Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely say that I appreciate it. I remember when I tasted the Cabernet Sauvignon being pleasantly surprised by how fruit forward the wine was. I think I, to you know to Andre's point, talking about Californian wines and that $20 price point, I was expecting oak. Now, I am an oak lover. I'm pretty forgiving about my oak, especially in my Chardonnay, but I was 
very, very pleasantly surprised by the balance, as as Andre described. And like I said, that fruit forwardness in the Cabernet Sauvignon and really tasting the quality of the grapes. And um, and and it's interesting because like I, I was one of those people who used to kind of, uh, I guess, poo-poo on organic wines whenever yeah. I saw the label. I was like, <laughs> organic wines. And then I remember over the last couple of years, um, not just Bonterra, but certain other brands as well, actually kind of having to revise my statement in every review. I have the company like, I used to say bad things about organic wines. I used to be saying bad things about but truly, there's some really good ones out there now at the price ones that they mentioned. And I know Bonterra has something really, really exciting lined up in celebration of organic September. And I, not to bury the lead or anything, but I really like contests and stuff. So can you share with our listener what this awesome thing is? Yes, we have an amazing contest running in September. It will be in some provinces and it's going to be a chance to have a, a, a trip to an ecologic for two persons. Um, this is gonna be like a one weekend. Uh, we found a very nice uh, eco-lodge where you are gonna have an experience of our like uh, organic wines along with an eco-friendly experience, which is we try to immerse you in what, in, what is important in nature and taking care and, and seeing that uh, we can actually do things in a more eco-friendly things, in an eco-friendly way. That's fantastic. And how can people get more information on this contest? So we are going to have uh, some uh, neckers on our bottles. We are going to be in the LCBO in the main store. We are going to have a $2 LTO, and it's going to be pretty much an in-store activation. So you are going to have all the information in the bottles. Oh, wow. Um, awesome. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess for someone who's usually drinking the Chardonnay, the limited time offer is $2 off the organic Cab Sauve, which is $20.95 yeah. until the 10th of September. So you can head to the LCBO, get all the details on the contest by uh, picking up a bottle of great Bonterra organic wine. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Benjamin, and sharing the love of, uh, you know, maintaining sustainability, doing a little bit better for our planet and uh, somehow packaging it all into a tasty bottle of wine. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope the people get engaged more with the organic, not just wine, organic overall is the is our way to save the world. Thanks so much, Benjamin. And coming up after the break, we are going to connect with our very own Danny Longo to unpack sustainability a little bit more and just what some of these organic practices might look like in the vineyards. Uh, so stick around. We'll be back right after the break on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm Andre Pru, you're Maroki Tong, and you're Danny Longo from the Global Newsroom. <laughs> and it's that time of the show where uh, we're actually holding ourselves a bit to account. A few weeks ago, we mentioned that we were going to be talking about wine gadgets. And, uh, you know, some newsworthy stuff came up between now and then, like talking about sustainable winemaking, as uh, I think you said, organic September. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I know we had to put everything on hold the moment Danny went and visited Lake Erie North Shore because we wanted to get the scoop on that. But don't worry, wine accessories never go out of fashion. So here we are. Oh, no, back no, 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 land. no, no. Wine accessories are never in fashion because <laughs> I, like Alton Brown, believe the great Alton Brown of Food Network fame and Iron Chef. Plastic gadgets in the kitchen are made for people who are attracted to plastic gadgets in the kitchen. So I'm sorry if I'm throwing shade at both of you already, but uh, my Edgar McSnob, McSnob hat is coming out for this segment. Do decanters count as, a, as an accessory? They do not. Decanters are useful. Okay. 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 Well, so 
Yeah, I, yes. I've, I broached this topic um, with you guys off air a few, I, I don't know, weeks, months ago. Um, it was after I had been at a cottage in the summer. And, you know, I actually was gifted a, 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 a drink gadget, if you will. Okay. And it, it, it's something I think that everyone needs if you're a beer drinker. And especially in the summer, it's basically a thermos, you know, like a Yeti or a Brewmate or whatever. I'm sure there's a million brands, but you put your beer can in it, you walk away, and an hour later, your beer is still ice cold. It's wonderful. Who takes an hour you to know, drink a beer, no. Danny? <laughs> I, am, I am a very slow drinker. So for me, you know, especially with a tall can, if my last sip is just as cold as my first, I'm a very happy man. The funniest part is, is that after you told me about this, when you brought when you brought up the subject off air, I yeah. found the Yeti beer cozy um, at when I was about to go portaging, and I almost got it oh. just because of what you said. I decided not to, only because I was pretty sure that when it's sold through like a an outfitter's place, you know, right before you go camping, oh, okay. that they probably mark up the price a lot. So, yeah. but I did have my eye out. I had a moment, Danny. I almost caved in there. I think uh, the most memorable wine gadget that I started using, and I used it so religiously for years, um, is the wine vacuum seal. Because, okay, yeah, I have you that know, as well. Yeah, because, you know, like back in the day, I was trying to make sure my wine stayed fresh if I only wanted to have a glass. And I was trying to figure out ways to to do so, and the fridge just wasn't cutting it for me. And... I don't remember if someone gifted it to me or I came upon it myself, but I got one of the wine vacuum seal brands and it's not the common one. I'm sure people, if you've visited wineries or gone to restaurants, you've seen people mm. use them now and again. This, the one I have is not any of those. I, so it, it's probably a more, I, I, I don't know, like um obsolete brand at this point, but I will say to you, and this is pure, just like anecdotal evidence. It worked. Like I compare times I would use it and times I wouldn't use it. And I think it did reduce oxidation. And one of the only reasons why I stopped using is because I read some finangled article a few years ago that allegedly when you pump out that oxygen, you suck off all the notes and characteristics from the nose and you reduce how the wine smells. And then I stopped using it for a while and then I decided to bring it back. But these days I also have a Corvin. So Who's to say? You know, I'm still not convinced that sucking that little bit of oxygen does anything to help your wine. Like, personally, when I have leftover wine, I cork it. Like, I'll put the cork or the cap back on it and store it in the fridge, whether it's red or white. And if it's red, I just take it out the next day and reopen it. But you're saying there's a difference, and I, I believe you, Maroki. Do you still have that that tool? I still do. And I knew immediately when I stated what I stated is that we're going to have to do some experiments on it. Don't I would we? I would love to. And, and and the way to do this is to get two, I'd say, moderate quality bottles of wine, you know, like maybe something not too expensive, like a decent Cru Beaujolais and do one where we have a couple glasses. We vac we vac seal the one and we just put the other one in the fridge and we see how they how they hold up overnight. I'm excited. I'm excited. OK, so <laughs> I am not two gadgets. <laughs> So these are two gadgets that seem to actually have some sort of benefit. Um, Danny, have you any fangled gadgets that you bought? Because you said you had a lot of them. Yes. That you decided was not up to snuff and not worth the hype. Hmm. Yes, I have, actually. I was gifted a porksicle, which is essentially a, a long piece of ice that you... It's, and it, it's a cork. You cork the bottle, and I guess it keeps your bottle cold. Um, 
I just found it was <laughs> I just found it was a little ridiculous. I mean, most of the time, if you want cool wine, you're going to put it in the fridge anyways. Um, so it was a bit counterproductive. Like, like like I said, like this is this goes back to like the Alton Brown f- philosophy of having you know gadgets that are only good for like single use. And I guess yeah, you can use a corksicle in like other beverages not just wine but i do have to say like corksicle they have expanded their lineup like the company still exists they make a really good like portable water bottle like reusable water bottle um Mm. like to the point where it's almost (laughs) annoying whether you put cold or hot in it like it keeps hot things way too hot because they're just so well insulated um but yes i am not paid by corksicle it was just a weird aside because i know going into the segment between when we talked about this i was gifted uh, a corksicle water bottle and i was just like oh that's funny hmm. here's another yeah, he... couple of really cool ones um real quick um what about like a wine tumbler like a thermos style tumbler because when we were again at this at the cottage you know outside and it was steaming hot you know having that thermos keep your wine a little extra cool was very helpful Okay, so I actually was just about to bring that up based okay. on the kind of thermal water bottle that Andre mentioned from from Corksicle because I I agree that putting wine or beer in something that is double walled um, that can you know hold the temperature is really good for keeping a wine cool. However, I kind of hate the idea that they've made water like thermal like like water bottles in a dedicated size for the wine to be like, yes, for $20 more, you can buy the wine therm, like the, the wine thermos. I'm like, you know what? I can buy, I can just pour that into my liter water bottle or my 750 milliliter water bottle and call it a day. Fair. Yeah. Now, now the one, the, the ones that I actually really despise personally are the ones that promise some sort of health benefit because oh, i think they yeah. are a total sham and definitely are trying to uh, uh, kind of uh prey on people's desires kind of like the beauty industry right preying on people's desires to be healthier like the ones that's like uh the, what is it the no hangover the sulfite eliminating filter oh then the magic I'm wands I, the magic yeah, wands the, too like there's so many of them and it's it's pure snake oil salesman yeah, and prove me wrong for anyone who's listening and works for one of those companies. Feel free to send me one. I will judge the crap out of it. Um, and if it somehow magically does give me less of a hangover or whatever, I'll eat my hat. But until then, I absolutely believe that it is fake. You, you, you know, though, there, there is one thing, though, where like I spend a lot of time thinking about this. There is a little bit of like the psychosomatic factor. Like if I have someone over to my house who says that only red wine gives them headaches or only white wine gives them headaches, you know, I could try to science the crap out of it and explain to them how what they're saying is medically and scientifically nonsense but it doesn't change the fact that they are still going to have a headache so you know if you decide to buy one of these gadgets and it does what it says to you you know it's important that you know that it's not the gadget doing it it's within your own head none of these gadgets actually work okay i have a couple of fun ones to end here okay okay um we also, I got this from my uh, my previous neighbor when we lived in Streetsville, and she we would go and have a drink with her outside on uh, on her lawn, and she had this, you know, for her a cup of wine. You know, there was bugs around, so she had this little, um, it was like a silicone-like kind of cover that she would put on the top of her glass. Brilliant. Loved it. And it was a flower petal. So we bought those. <laughs> and here's another one for wine parties. When you put like a little chime or um, so you can identify oh. your bottle or your glass so you're not picking up someone else's glass um you know like a little tag with a like some kind of I, I, okay here's my mia culpa i'm actually a big fan of those 
I've got, yeah. a, I've got a couple <laughs> sets of them and it is like because I like to throw large dinner parties and often like you're moving around when like things go on in the night and it's just like it's nice to keep track of and it's also it's kind of fun because I think we've all opened up the Monopoly board and we've picked what our favorite piece is mine's the dog yes yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, I have gotten on board with those. I will admit that if I had to put on my snob, when you come up with, snob, with a snob name for Moroki, <laughs> since Andre has Edgar McSnob and Danny needs a snob name as well, but I would say my snob self um, always want to just see like really pretty wine glasses on a table and sometimes all those little charms and identifying marks kind of made it kooky. But I have warmed up to a few. There's a few adorable ones. Okay. Well, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of wine accessories and I feel like we might need a wine accessories two and three down the line oh i'm just glad um, that neither one of you i'm just glad that neither one of you brought up those awful you know space stealing plastic little aerators that are completely pointless and useless and that's the end of the show i know and i i, I and uh, i think that's a teaser for next time because i totally have those aerators no! andre no no that's just <laughs> bad Anyways, this has been Tasting Together, 5 o'clock Saturday on 640 Toronto. Stick around next week. We'll have more great food and drinks. And uh, more plastic aerators. Let us know if you want to see Andre scream on a future segment.